This morning, we're going to be spending time learning from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. We're going to be learning a little bit about stewardship, and I'm going to tell you um, in a moment why this is uh, somewhat of, uh, I don't know if an uncomfortable message for me, but uh, not, not necessarily the easiest message that I ever share with you. Um, I'll share with that in the moment. Um, in part, maybe, it's because we're going to be dealing with one of the more difficult parables. This is one of those parables when you read it that you go, hmm, what's Jesus going to teach them out of this particular parable? So Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, and as we spend time in God's word, let's pray for his blessing on our time. We praise you, O God, for your word, and we ask that you anoint us to learn it, grow from it, be challenged and transformed from it. May, Father, we understand that since all Scripture is God-breathed, that as we touch any part of your text, you do breathe your Spirit into us. You do bring your power through it. And I pray, Father, that as we consider this text this morning, that we do so in humility, understanding that you have something to challenge us with, And as we consider, Father, even what it means to be stewards of creation, of money, of relationships, of our bodies, of all things that we have been given from your hand, that we do so understanding that your call is upon all of it, touches every part of our lives, and that we can grow in what it means to be a steward almost in every space in which we live. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their home. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager. Stop. Do you hear that? He just lost, if I'm reading correctly, 400 gallons of olive oil, and he lost 200 bushels of wheat. And the next phrase is, the master commended the dishonest manager. Because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. 
I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Actually, the text is mammon. It's not money, it's mammon, but it is translated money. The Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. How many of you, when you've read this parable in the past, had trouble with it. Anyone? How many of you have never read this parable before? (laughs) It's one of those texts that, I mean, we read it, and there's something there to learn from, but it's, are we supposed to be dishonest and unethical? But in the name of Jesus and say that's okay? I mean, what what does it teach us? And as I was thinking this week, because I wanted to talk about, uh, I actually wanted to talk more about stewardship of creation, our relationship with creation, um, nature and what God has given us in, in creation. I simply realized that I couldn't do that justice until we talked some about what it meant to be stewards. It's one of the reasons why this is a difficult a message for me this morning because it's not simply about what it means for us to be stewards of money. This text focuses on money. It focuses upon, you know, and even says, uh, you know, uh, that you can't serve both God and money. But it says it, like I said, as mammon. And mammon is much broader than just money. Mammon was a god that people worshipped at the time. Mammon was a god who, who um, was in lust. He, he was a god that, that sort of fostered um, selfishness. So when we think about Jesus saying to his disciples, you cannot serve both God and money. It's actually, you cannot serve both God and, in essence, yourself, your selfishness, your, your desire for, for just doing things your way, even in some senses. That's one of the reasons why this idea of having a relationship with creation or relationship with money, I wasn't comfortable just going there. So this morning's message becomes a little bit about what it means to be stewards. And as I think about what it means to be stewards, I mean, we're going to say things like, okay, well, I understand my money isn't my own and I will serve God with it. I'll tithe and give gifts and offerings to the church. I'll be a part of kingdom causes. I'm not going to be materialist, all that other sort of stuff. Okay, that's fair. 
And then when we think about creation, and we think, okay, well, I'm not going to pour my oil after I change my oil down the drain, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a clear-cut logger. I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to be a strip miner because I think that that's not good stewardship of creation. I'm going to, you know, instead, I'm, you know, when I think about my world, I'm going to do things that honor God. Okay, well, that's that's good. But stewardship is much more than just simply saying things like that. It's saying things if we're going to be a steward, like when I go to the grocery store and I buy food, do I think about where it comes from? And do I think about the implications that how food is raised and produced impact creation? Do I think about when I invest my money in my retirement funds and the stocks that I buy, do I think about the businesses that I invest my money in? And whether or not they are good stewards of creation or of money or of justice or of relationships. When we think about stewardship in terms of a practical idea that governs many of the decisions that we make, it's not just simply as simple as saying we're going to fill up the blue barrel every week, get a compost and start a garden. It's much more complex than that. When we think about stewardship, it should force us a little bit more to think about how we represent Christ in this world. So let's start thinking along those lines. And of course, we need to start thinking along those lines by beginning in the text. And in this text, like I said, this isn't my favorite parable. It's not my favorite parable because its meaning is relatively, oh, no, its meaning is, is difficult to get to. It's not as simple as, you know, the parable of, of the prodigal son. I mean, a son is loved by his father and embraced even though he's a broken person. We can grab onto that. It's easy. It's simple to sort of go the meaning here. But how are we supposed to feel about the manager in the text? Are we supposed to commend him? If you met this person... If this person were to live in the world that you live in, in the business world, if you're a businessman or businesswoman, what would probably happen to this manager? Well, we have pretty good examples of some of that when we see some of the people who end up in jail because of things like insider trading, fraud, stealing, theft, all that other sort of stuff. In some ways, this person with their selfish behavior I mean, this is flat-out sin. It's stealing. And yet, it's commended. Not only is he commended, but then Jesus himself, the Son of God, teaches this parable. I should have picked another text <laughs> in some way. But we got to get there. And we can understand something really, really important here. And that's why I chose this parable. I could have picked, and I thought about it even on, on Thursday. Thursday is my big writing day about changing my text. And I chose not to because there's something key here that we'll get to in a moment that's very helpful 
we think about stewardship. This parable it indicts the Pharisees for something pretty fundamental. Their greed. Basically, Jesus is using this parable to call out the Pharisees, and we see that at the end of the text. Remember, however, that greed is not just about money. Greed can be about many things. Greed can be about relationships. It can be about experiences. It can be about just us wanting. It's about selfishness. Greed fundamentally is selfish behavior. And we can be even greedy in our marriage with our spouse's attention. We can be greedy with our parents, with their attention, what we want from them. So in essence, when Jesus was indicting the Pharisees for their greed, yes, he was talking about money, but he he was trying to get more deeper into the heart of hearts. What is your motivation? Is it selfishness? Because if it's selfishness, then we need to figure some stuff out. And when I said that at the end of the text, Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Money is mammon. Mammon is gluttony, and mammon is greed, and mammon is lust, and mammon is any selfish submission to human hunger and desire. And the Pharisees were guilty of serving something other than God. And when that happens, it's a violation in and of itself of the first commandment, the most fundamental one in all the texts affirmed by Jesus, even in the New Testament. That when the Pharisees were moving down this idea of greed and selfishness, that they were in essence saying, I will serve myself before I will serve God, and that puts another God before the living one. So we can see that this whole idea of selfishness, of, of greed, of lust, that it's pretty important because if we don't work it through and struggle with what it means for our behavior and our lives, we're at risk of violating one of the most fundamental commandments in all the text of Scripture. It's important. So when we start to even consider what it means to be stewards, and stewards that serve God alone above anything else, it gets a little bit harder for us to let ourselves off the hook. Here's what I mean. We can't simply do something in this life purchase, buy, consume, simply because it's easier or cheaper. Here's what I mean. I'll indict myself. This week was a full, full, full week. And when it's a full week, what part of your day becomes probably the most frazzled? Anybody? Dinner time. If you have a full week, full day, full time, full schedule, dinner time becomes a little crazy because either you got a meeting just before it or you got a meeting just after it. You got something going on right during it. And so we as a family like to sit down and eat at our table together if we can. And I can tell you that that happened once this week. 
And what happens if you can't do that? What do you probably do? Drive through. Okay? So I go and I get drive through and I go to this restaurant or that restaurant and I don't want to spend a lot of money. So I get 50 cent tacos or I get the dollar burger or I get the $5 pizza and whatever. Now, let's think about that from a stewardship standpoint. Is that good stewardship? Is it stewardship of my bodies? I've even indicted myself, and if you've been listening to my messages over the last three months, you know it. What did I say I was not going to do? Eat fast food. But I did. Why? Because it was cheaper or easier. And in so doing, I served myself and my schedule, and that's a violation of what? First commandment. When we start to think about stewardship, serving God before anything else, it even has impact on things like how we eat dinner. And it's not just as simple as saying, okay, we're going to sit at home and we're going to eat dinner. It's even in some ways how we do that. How am I a steward of my body? How am I a steward of the funds that I've been given? How am I a steward of creation and what we choose in order to eat? You see why this gets really complex? This is one of those challenging ideas. Stewardship is not just about making sure you have your tithe in order. It's not just making sure that you've got a recycle bin. Being a steward means that you and I think about all of life differently. Because of this, fundamentally because of this truth, that stewardship by definition is to be Christ's representative until he returns. And so as I make my choices about how I live life in this world that I live in, I am a representative of Jesus. And if I do not represent him well, I am being an unfaithful steward. You can think about, you know, one of the classic movies, The Lord of the Rings. In the kingdom, there is the steward who is guarding the throne until the king comes back. That's the movie, The Return of the King. Finally, he comes back to reclaim his throne from the steward. But the problem is the steward who's been in charge for so long has gotten ahead of himself and believes himself to be in charge. He's not acting as a good steward. For us to think likewise, are we thinking we are the one in charge and get to be the ones to make the decisions about how things go? If so... We're not being a good steward. But then the question becomes, how far is too far, right? How far is not far enough? Do we tie ourselves to trees so that they don't cut down old growth forests? I won't. I don't think that's a good idea. 
I think there's better ways to think about being a steward of creation. Does it mean that we give all our money away? On that one, I would say perhaps. Jesus said to the rich man, rich wrong ruler, he said, sell all you have and give your money to the poor and come follow me. Possible. I don't know what's too far there. Is it too far to maybe do some research and investigate some of the companies that you buy your food from to discover how it is that they raise? Is it sustainable? Is it sustainable and is it ethical? And what is ethical? Is it ethical to kill animals? Some people would obviously say no. I think that's too far because God has given us the world, fill the earth and subdue it. Eating of flesh is very clear. In all of Scripture, I think it's okay. And thus, if you're going to eat animals, they need to die, so there needs to be butchering. Okay. But maybe even how they're maintained. And believe me, I've had those discussions with many of my farmer friends from up north. It means that we actually need to struggle with this stuff if we are going to have a relationship with the creation around us as stewards of creation. It means that we can't simply say, I'm not going to worry about this because by the very definition of you being a follower of Jesus, you are a representative of him. When people look at you, they should be able to see Jesus and they should be able to see Jesus in all that you do, in how you handle your finances, in how you take care of your body, in how you look at creation, in all the things of life. And that should be challenging for us. It should be challenging even for us thinking about what we drive, what kind of car that we have. There's a part of me that shakes my hand at Toyota Priuses because they're these little piddly car that makes me think if my daughter were to have one and get in an accident, then suddenly she would be destroyed. But there's a part of me that loves them. Because we can't keep doing things the way that we're doing for very long. We need to continue to rethink stuff. We can't just say it's okay to have the big SUV that gets 15 miles to the gallon. There's a time and a place for it, maybe. But we can't just sit there and say that that's how all of us should live life. It should be a struggle, folks. One of the most... One of the most controversial banner articles that have been in the last four or five years, the banner is the magazine of the Christian Reformed Church, the denomination which we are a part of, and it was this title, Would Jesus Drive an SUV? There were people fired up about it. Of course, you've got to remember the banner is published in Michigan, the home of the big three auto group, and so there's an issue. However... I think the question posed was a valid one. Not only what you drive, but then how you drive. See why this is hard? You see why this should challenge you and I? Why we actually have to be thinking Christians when it comes to stewardship? As we look back at the text and we look back at this very complex, challenging parable we do get some help in understanding more how to work this through. Now look 
at the parable again. I want you to really look at it. So if you have your Bibles, look at it. Do the debtors know who is giving them the break? Do they know? All they know is that somebody, the manager, came and said to them, quick, write down on your ledger 400 instead of 800. 800 instead of 1,000. Is there any clarity from the text that the manager said, by the way, I'm being dishonest, I'm stealing from my, my master, and so I'm the one doing this for you? Does he do that? No. These people, who the debtors, don't know who it is that is telling them to erase their debt. So, listen to me. If, let's say, for example, you owe your parents money, and I know that there's no children in the room who owe their parents money. Katie Algersma will be here next Sunday, by the way. If you owe your parents money, and your mother comes to you and says, you owe us $1,500, make it 1000 What do you think about your mom? You think she's awesome. But what if it were your dad who said to her, go and tell our daughter that she owes us 1000 not 1500 it's the person who is represented to you as the one giving the gift. And the one who would give the gift would be the master. And so by sharing the gift with the debtors, the people who are grateful, they're grateful to the master. He's the one who gave them the break. He's the one who said, it's okay for you to owe me less they would have it in their hearts to value what was given to them from the master. The reason this is a difficult parable is that by being gracious and generous, the steward is actually showing the loving side of his master, even without his master knowing it. And thus we have, again, the phrase that we get, which seems so silly, the master commended the dishonest manager. Because by him doing what he had done, the master is glorified. Now, please don't go from this place and say, Pastor Scott said that I can now act unethically in business and in dealing with the environment. I'm not. This is a parable. It's a teaching in order to shed light on a deeper truth. And the deeper truth is not that unethical business practice is correct. It's that the fundamental truth that he's teaching to us is that by your actions give glory to your master. The master is given credit, glory. The good meant less to the master than his good name. I don't know about you, but when I say that phrase, that sounds like God. 
God isn't so much concerned about the stuff of this world. Oh, he has an opinion about it and he wants to see it. Glorify him and, and worship him, but he wants to see it. Worship him and give him glory because he cares so much about his name. He wants the world to see his name as what it is, a name above any other names that is his name. Every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And how does his name get that sort of power and get that sort of glory in this world a good chunk of the time? Through you. Through me. And through us being faithful representatives of who he is. Of us being good stewards. By being a good steward, we honor God's name. We glorify him. We give him credit. So for us to consider how Christ is calling us to carry his name as his stewards is fundamental for us being good servants. Tell you a little quick story. On Friday after Ray's funeral, I got in my car. I needed some time alone. I drove for four hours up to Visalia. It was a nice time. I spent some time with friends doing fantasy football. Let's not have that conversation. As I'm there, I'm speaking with a friend, and if you don't know, the dairy industry is tight right now, very, very difficult. And there are a lot of people going to get bankruptcy, and one of the conversations that I have with a lot of folks up there is who's probably going to lose their dairy next. There's a number of folks who are going through that particular issue right now, and they're going to lose everything. One individual, though, was a topic of discussion. He's a Christian. He goes to one of the local area churches. He's a prominent Christian businessman. And he is in the process of bankruptcy. He is supposed to be losing everything. He owes people somewhere north of $2 million. And the person that I was talking to said, yeah, and he owes me $20,000. And I was just at an intersection and saw his son driving a brand new Porsche Cayenne. It's a $50,000 car, I think, on the short end. And then he saw his wife, this man's wife, the person who owes all this money, is going into bankruptcy, a prominent Christian businessman. His wife driving around in a brand new Range Rover. And then he said, and the thing that kills me the most is that there are people that he owes two, three, four hundred thousand dollars to who've lost their business because he refuses to pay them. Prominent Christian businessmen. What is being proclaimed about Jesus' name? Because people look and they see and they see Christian school teachers. And yes, I'll point to this side of the room. Christian school teachers. And they ask questions. How is it that you are living? And they see Christian whatever. Businessmen. They see Christian medical personnel. They see Christian cops. And they know. You don't know just how many people know that you have a faith in Jesus Christ. And what do they see when they look into your life? 
What do they see? Do they see you representing Jesus as faithful, obedient, caring, serving, gracious, not prone to greed, not prone to lust, not prone to selfishness, but instead prone to be giving, serving, loving, encouraging. You are someone who cares about people more than you care about stuff, more than you care about your plan or your purpose or you looking good. When people look at Christians, they will get some sort of understanding about who God is. And the challenge for us is to make sure that we're giving them the right picture. That's the challenge with stewardship. It's the challenge when we think about how we go out and buy dinner. It's a challenge about how we travel. It's the challenge about who we give to and what we spend our money on and where we spend it and what we invest in. It's the challenge when we think about all the things that we do, how we are stewards of our bodies, stewards of our relationships, because when people look at how we do each of those things, they're going to try to figure out if they're seeing Jesus or not. This is hard, because it consumes almost everything. And it should force us to wonder more about how we're representing the name of the living God. For us to seek the Spirit's wisdom and power daily in proclaiming with all that we are that there's no God greater than the one we serve should move us to stewardship. When I was a kid, I lived in a small town. In this small town, there was one dirt road with a house on it. That was our house. The rest of it were paved streets. We lived on the tough side of town, and this dirt road that led to our house actually cut the lot of our house into two sections. One quarter on this side, three quarters on this side where the house was. So this particular, the rest of the lot was across the street, this dirt road, from our house. It was a lot, about 50 by 50 feet was on my parents' property, and they needed to do something with it. So what did they do? They planted a garden. And if you have a 50 by 50 garden, those of you who garden, you know, is that a little bit of work or a lot of work? That's a lot of work. 50 by 50 garden, and we had carrots and peas and beans and corn and potatoes, and we had asparagus, and we had rhubarb, and we had evidence of the fallenness of creation in the form of squash and zucchini, two things which I hate. And my parents, the first year of gardening, planted four zucchini plants. And if you know anything about gardening, what does that mean? It means that for three months of the year, you eat everything with zucchini. Thus, I hate zucchini. I will ask out of love for me, if you care for me and you invite me into your home to eat, please do not make me eat zucchini because I will probably barf. (laughs) But, okay, 50 by 50 lot, big garden, lot going on. What does that mean if you are a kid in the house of that particular garden? It means you weed and you weed and you weed 
and you weed because weeds are signs of the fallenness of creation and they constantly come back. So you're out there. Scott, go weed the, the potatoes there. There's weeds that go weed the bean or, you know, go do this or go. Then you got you to gotta kill the bugs, you know, and those tomato bugs, those things are disgusting. And the other one, it's just so much work. And we were constantly out there and then go pick the beans and then we got to clean the beans and then we got to pin the beans to make them for dinner. And after a while, I just remember thinking, I hate gardens because there's so much work. And yet, even though we ate zucchini, and frankly, this is how bad it got. It got so bad that my mom, instead of making lasagna with noodles, cut zucchini really thin and made that the most disgusting thing ever. I'm sorry. If you love zucchini, God bless you. You need the grace of Jesus. But But if we had four zucchini plants, we had a lot of zucchini. There was way too much for us to eat. So what happened? Remember, I live on the poor side of town. It meant that every night almost, when we would pick corn, because we had two big long rows of corn, when we would pick corn, we would pick 10 ears of corn, two for each of our family, and then I would pick 10 more. And I would walk over to this neighbor with a bag of food because that's what my parents told me to do. And it meant that zucchini, I would take two bags of zucchini and take them to the neighbors. It meant carrots were there. It meant beans were there. And it's just a simple, small thing. But you know what? People in our neighborhood knew that we went to church. We were the Dutch kids in the neighborhood And they knew that we drove 25 minutes in order to go to church. They thought that was crazy, but they ended up knowing that we go to church. So when we would show up with two bags of food and say, here, my parents wanted to make sure you got some food. Poor folks didn't have a lot. My parents, through my slave labor, was showing people Jesus. I can't forget that. And it's a simple thing. It was a garden, 50 by 50, a lot of work, child labor. But there's other ways too. In how you deal with your clients in your business, they'll know you're Christian and what it looks like for you to show Jesus or not. How you are a neighbor how you care for and are a steward of the world that you live in. Is it okay maybe for you to be a person who says, you know what, some of this stuff actually does matter. This pipeline that runs from Canada down to Louisiana to bring oil that spilled who knows how much oil in Louisiana, you know what, that's a big deal. Maybe we need to call a senator or call a congressman or write a letter or two because that actually does matter for us to be good stewards of creation. These sorts of things are important because either we show people Jesus through the Spirit's power changing us to think about these things and opening up ways for us to learn and grow, or we show them something else. And I would prefer 
for my life that when I enter into the presence of the living God for all eternity, he looks at me and says, praise God, even in your brokenness, as I empowered you, you showed people Jesus. I can't imagine having that other conversation. May God empower you to be willing to take on that courageous work in this week and in all that you do. Let me pray for you. We praise you, O God, for your creation, for how you sustain us, care for us, how you keep us, Lord, um, you keep us full in so many different ways. Our lives are full of your Spirit's power and work. We see so much that we have, O God, from you. And now you call us to be stewards of all those things. You call us to be stewards with the bodies that we be given, that we show people Jesus, not through gluttony or not through laziness, but through healthy living, through exercise, through, Father, what it means to make good and wise choices with our bodies. You empower us to have the funds to do different things. And, Father, as people bear witness to who we are, may we give a good account of who you are through the funds you've given to us. May we think through what it means to be a person who thinks beyond ourselves and our own selfish or easy actions and instead, Lord, think about how it carries your name. May we, Father, in all creation think likewise. May we know that you've given us the beauty of the mountains, the stars in the sky, the oceans deep, Lord, and all the stuff that we have from your hand. And that you call us to be people who guard that, who subdue it. We fill the earth, we subdue it, we use it, Lord, uh, appropriately in order to meet the needs of the people that, that need food or, or things to survive, but that we do so, Father, representing who you are as good stewards, showing people Jesus. Lord, empower us to this end to act in wisdom and to act in faith. We pray these things all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.